Amen, amen. Good morning, Identity Church. You know, this week, um, this week has been one of those weeks that, you know, it was just a normal, everyday, went to work, came, came home. Well, I work from home, so I stayed at home. But, you know, I, I, this week we, we were believing for God to show us some things, show us where we go next. And, you know, God is so good. We were actually just talking about that right before I got on uh, to the recording here. That, that God is so good and his goodness is running after us. It's everywhere. And a lot of times we have a wrong way of thinking. We have a wrong way of creating an idealism about what God is in our lives. How many people has felt closer to God when things were going good? I mean, everybody does, right? I mean, hey, if I believe God, well, I believe God's really blessing me. But you know what? God's always blessing us. He's always, always, always telling us stuff. Even in the midst of a trial, God's blessing us. Do you know what a blessing looks like in the middle of a trial? Him teaching us how to get out of the trial. You know, that's, that's a blessing. You know, I still remember back a couple of years ago, me and dad were putting some, trying to, and Kaylee, well, many years ago. Kaylee's 19, so... We were trying to put together this, this curio type thing that basically was made of just junk. I mean, it was a plywood mess. And me and dad are trying to put it together. We're in the middle of a trial. We're fighting for our lives. <laughs> or at least we're fighting to get the curio put together. But I'm putting this thing together with dad. We have the instructions. And you know what? Even though we had the instructions, we put it together wrong. Now, even though we had put it together wrong in the wrong order and everything else, the instructions still came back up and said, we put this together in the wrong way. Now we can't get this other board to go in here. And Dad said, well, you know what? We'll just unloosen all these other things. you got to hold it like this with your tongue. <laughs> Uh, like that, and I'm going to shove this board in there, and we're going to drill it in. You know, even in the midst of the trial, the instruction comes out, and it tells us, hey, you screwed up and didn't put the board in first. And you know what? We got it jammed in there. Took us longer. I mean, we probably could have put it together and maybe... 30 minutes. It took us about three hours. But I mean, at the end of all this, when we get to the when we get to that understanding about what God wants for us to do in our lives, his goodness is there trying to say, you put the board in wrong. Now, Dad said, you're gonna hold this thing a certain way and we're gonna jam it in. God a lot of times says, Hey, where did you make the wrong turn? At the beginning, take it apart, start over. You know what? Sometimes you have to do that. Sometimes you have to take, sometimes you have to take something apart and start all over. 
Do you know that there are times in our lives where we're taking stuff apart and trying to piece it back together? Sometimes we've thought about things so wrong for so long that we just think that the wrong way that it looks is the right way. You know, as we're going through this teaching today, the Lord really was putting on my heart this week about some stuff that had happened over the last few months with Identity Church. And, I, and I'll be honest with you. I have had some wrong thinking. I, I have. I, everybody does in some respect, some way, somehow. There's always wrong thinking that we can change. God will continue to the day that we go to be with heaven and we know everything. We're going to have to continually change our mind to what's going on. And you know, so back, back a couple of years ago, or years ago, months ago, I'm sorry, we were looking at a building on Kent Berry for Identity Church. It looked like it was the, the right thing. I mean, I remember Charlie looked at me and said, Dusty, if this ain't God, I don't know what it is. <laughs> it was ready to go. All we had to do, I mean, we didn't even have to paint it. We didn't have to do nothing all we would have had to have done is just walked into the place. It already had chairs, had everything. Well, we go through everything. We work for a month to just get the city to give us some opportunity to be able to get in there. And the day I was going to sign the lease, the owner said, we're going to, even though these other people had not paid, even though they had not done anything, they come back and said, hey, we're not going to sign the lease with you. We're going to go back with them. And I mean, the city had, I mean, and I'm going to tell you what, it, miracles of God happened that the city actually approved us to go into place. You know, I was very dumbfounded. I remember me and Heather were driving. I was like, what in the world's going on? I just said, well, Lord, it's just in your hands. I don't, you know, we can't really do anything. And the Lord, Spirit of God said, think bigger. And I thought to myself, oh, we need a bigger place. Oh, we need a bigger, uh, maybe I need an auditorium. We're going to get that many people that's going to start coming to Identity Church. You know, when God says think bigger, I, I had no clue what he meant. I had no clue. So the Lord told me this week, and, and I'm just giving you a little bit of background. This week, I went to go look at another place over off of 31. Now, the people were wanting to lease it to me. They'd leased it to me today. Well, it's on the medical mile. Well, they've put a ton of regulations on what can go in there, how it's supposed to look, everything. They want, the city of Alabaster came in and told me, you need an architect, an engineer, you need this variance, you need that variance. The guy that owns the building said, you're, you're gonna run me in the poorhouse. Every time I talked to the guy, the guy said, you're gonna run me in the poorhouse. The, the, the alabaster's just, they're not, they're, they're just awful. They're awful to deal with. And you know what, I, I sat there and I was like, man, yeah, they seem like, every, I mean, everything's a fight with them. Everything's a fight with them. And so I went into this thing. There was four people from the city and only me and the guy that owns the building and his mom that really owns the building. 
was all there. And the four people from the city said, this is what you're going to need. Because of the change of use, you'll need the architects and the engineers. They'll have to give you these plans. And then you'll have to go to the planning board. And after you go to the planning board, you'll have to go in and you'll have to make all the changes that the uh, American Disabilities Act says that you got to make. And then, then we might approve you for occupancy. And I sat there, and you know the first thing, because the guy said it for me. He goes, there ain't nobody that's going to be able to go in this building. That was the first thing that came into my mind, is that there's nobody that's going to be able to do this. And you know what the Lord said to me as we were all walking away? I prayed for these people, said, yeah, they want to sell it. That, that's basically what they want to do in the first place. They don't want to deal with it. So I'm believing, we're believing, we're standing with them that they're going to sell that building so that it's out from under them. But what I want you to understand is, is that as I'm walking out of that place, God said, think bigger. And I went, this place was much bigger than the other place. God, what, what do you want? What do you want? And by the way, if I did that, it's going to cost me $25,000 just to even talk to the city. And God said, think bigger. And so I get in my car, I called Heather and said, hey, this is just not it. I think I even sent Dad a text and said, no, it's not it. <clears throat> so I'm going home. I'm going to, me and Heather and the kids, we're going to go get some lunch or whatever. And I'm starting to go, and the Lord said, your thinking is small. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. God talks to me by, it's just a knowing. Like, I don't hear this audible voice that says, Dusty, think bigger. I mean, that's not the way it happens. It's I'm sitting there, and all of a sudden, I just know I've got to think bigger. And then, I just know, hey, my thinking's wrong. So I'm driving home. I get home. I tell Heather, I said, the problem that I have is that I can't see past my own finances. I can't see past what we need to do. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. You guys are awesome givers. I am so appreciative of everything. And by the way, I'm a really good steward of our money. We have a bunch of money in the bank for the size that we are. I mean, I'd give you the number. You'd be shocked. I mean, you guys in one year have saved up over $20,000. It is amazing. I am so proud of us for the size we are and everything that we've done in this church. I've got enough money to be able to go and put stuff into the building. I've got enough money to be able to buy equipment. And the Lord said, I'm thinking too small. So the Lord told me this week, over the time, he said, go big or go home. And I said, well, I've got to change the way I think. I've got to change the way I think because it ain't like it was when I was in Mount Olive. See, I still have Mount Olive mentality. I still have Gardendale mentality where you didn't have all the regulations. And you didn't have all the things that came along with starting a business or a church or anything like that inside of those municipalities. I could just go do it. I could just go get a building. I could go lease it. I could do whatever. And they didn't care. They'd just be like, here, just pay us 150 bucks and we'll just sign off on it. But I don't live 
there anymore. See, I still have Mount Olive and warrior and garden down mentality because they don't care. And the Lord said, if you want to do this here, you're going to have to go big or you're going to have to go home. It was so mind-blowing to me, guys. I'm going to be honest with you. I walked away from that whole situation and the Lord started giving me this message today. I said, you know what? It's been a blessing to me and it's also been terrifying all at the same time. I got edified and terrified all within one week because I ain't thinking right. In fact, my thinking is that I just want to sneak in somewhere. Can we just like find a place and let's... Can we break in and we'll just do church and then we'll clean up and then we'll go somewhere? Because that's the way it was. I walked away from that experience and I said, there's no way we're going to be able to do it. I want to be honest with you, that was the first thought that came into my mind. I just don't have enough money. I don't have enough resources. So the Lord said, think bigger. Go big or go home. So, this was the scripture. Everybody's heard this scripture. You probably heard it taught a thousand different ways. But here's the scripture we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about expanding our tents. But this is a metaphorical thing in Isaiah 54 for how we think. In fact, God was actually talking to Israel about how they thought. And there's two different idealisms here. There's two different ways to go about your thinking in God's terms. We can either be the desolate children or we can be a part of the married children. And we'll get into that here in just a second a little bit. But Isaiah 54, 1 through 5 says, Sing, O barren, you who have not born. So sing for people, hey, you, you people who have not had a child, that's what... That's what they're saying. But metaphorically, it's saying, seeing all you people who can't see past yourselves. Like I can't produce in other people. I can't produce. He's saying rejoice, sing. Because it's about to get a little bit better. Break forth into singing, cry aloud, you who have not labored with a child. For more are the children of the desolate. This word desolate is a shamoa, and it actually means to stun or to grow numb or to stupefy. Now, there's probably some Harry Potter fans in here. One of the things that they did is take the little thing and they would go stupefy and they would hit them with this spell and all of a sudden the thing that they would just go like a board and they'd fall over. Well, see, this right here is saying that the children of the stupid... The children of those who are, who are stunned, they are grown numb. They don't know how to get past just laying there like a lump. There's more of them than there are of the children of the married woman. Now you got to understand here, there's a lot of metaphorical things that God's talking to Israel about, but this works for us as well. Because when we have small thinking, what happens is, is that I'm numb to my expansion. I'm numb to thinking that there's more for me. 
And see, the married woman, that basically means that, hey, I have a plan. I've, I've went through the process of getting married, having a family, and I'm not just, I'm not just going, well, if it happened, it happened. If it didn't, it didn't. That's basically what he's trying to say here. So in verse 2, it says, Enlarge the place of your tent and let them stretch out the curtains of your dwelling. Do not spare. Lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes. For you shall expand to the right and to the left and your descendants will inherit the nation and make the desolate cities inhabitable. Do not fear for you will not be ashamed. Neither be disgraced, for you will not be put to shame, for you will forget the shame of your youth and will not remember the reproach of the widowhood anymore. For your maker is your husband, the Lord of the host is his name, and your redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, he is called the God of the whole earth. See, what I want you to understand is, is that we're supposed to marry God. See, the desolate children, they're just, they're just out there. They're not really, they're not looking for a plan. They're not looking for a way of being able to, to get to the next level. And see, our marriage, our, our plan maker, our husbandman, if you will, is God. And when we marry up with him and we get his plan, when we have his seed go out into the world, then what happens is, is that we no longer are just lumps. We're no longer stupefied, if you will. We essentially are able to go to the next level. We're able to change our thinking. We're able to go and do the things because it no longer is an enigma to us. You know, this is so important because, you know, I'm using a bunch of terms and a bunch of things right here that, and, and I've talked to you guys about, you know, identity church doing this. But I'm going to tell you what. This was something that back when I was in my teens, I was a stupefied person. I had ADD and dyslexia. I thought I wasn't going to be able to do very much. And then I went to victory and, and Pastor Jim McCann taught on, I can do all things through Christ Jesus that strengthens me. Within six months, I went and changed my mentality. I mean, I went from somebody that thought, I'm not going to do anything. I'm not going to be able to do anything. I'm not going to be able to have anything. I, I'm going to live with mom and dad the rest of their life. I mean, it'd be a whole lot easier on me. Can I move back in? Anyway, but... I would, have, I would have lived with this mentality. If you buy a house, you can. Oh, if I buy the house. Oh, okay. Oh, dad's got to get hot dogs so he can just feed me hot dogs. The, the story behind that is, is when I was a teenager, I played football. I would eat a whole pack of hot dogs after football practice. It would just be, I would just eat the whole thing. And a gallon of milk. <laughs> this actually is starting to sound better and better. <laughs> I, I, I'm thinking this might be a good retirement plan. I just retire right now at 44. I just moved back in with y'all. Um, 
want you guys. Huh? Yeah, I, that, that's one thing we'd have to get rid of is all the dogs and cats. I don't think Heather would be able to handle it. Um, but what I want you to understand is that not knowing what to think and believe leads to us doing without. Do you know that I was at a place to where if somebody had, people used to come in and go all the time, hey, you could be this. And I would go, in my mind, it'd be like, no, I can't do that. No, I can't do that. You know, after I got a hold of, I could do all things through Christ Jesus that strengthens me. And God kind of had that first little, hey, this is you. And I started meditating on it and started going with it. Do you know, I didn't even have a GED. I didn't even have a high school diploma. I didn't have anything. And then I went and I got my GED. And then after I got my GED, I started, you know, God didn't say, hey, go to, go to the University of Alabama or go to Harvard. No, I wasn't there. My mentality was, what is the next thing I can do to get myself on the road? Well, God opened up. I'm talking about for Birmingham, he opened up Novell training. I still remember it to this day. I was going to Victor Christian Fellowship. Uh, a lot of y'all know um, Pastor Joe Chafin. Pastor Joe Chafin worked for a SIPCO. He said one day he's walking through there and he just heard the Spirit of the Lord just tell him, go talk to this guy working on these computers. He walked over there. He asked him, he goes, what do you do? Throughout this whole thing, he said, what type of education do you have? And he said, well, I went to Atlanta and I got Novell certified. Well, then Joe comes back to church and says, I just felt like I needed to tell you this. It's this Novell. You got to go to Atlanta. And I was like, I don't want to go to Atlanta. You know what? So I started believing, okay, Lord, show me what I'm needing to do. Do you know that with it, and this was funny. Me and Heather had just gotten married. I'm sitting there. I'd been pulling cable. That was the first thing. I just started pulling cable for a group. I wasn't doing anything. I was just making minimum wage, basically. And you know, because I made that step and I did that one thing, it started changing my mentality. And do you know that we got this letter? Heather and I had only been going to, I don't know, we, we'd only been, uh, no, we were engaged at that time. And I got a letter that said that, uh, that basically uh, Bessemer Tech at the time, it's now Miles College, but Bessemer Tech said, no, it's Lawson, that Bessemer Tech was going to have Novell training. And I went and I signed up. I was one of 12 people that signed up for the class. We did a year-long thing. I actually have a certification plus a diploma from, from Lawson State. I mean, and I, I got that. I got jobs because of it. And it kept going and it kept going. And little by little, God would change my mentality. And I could go from, I can go get a certification to, oh, I can go and take college classes. You know, it took me 11 years from the time I got my GED, but I have a master's degree in computer engineering from UAB. You know, it took 11 years to change my mind? Now, some of y'all think, man, you really don't know how to change your mind, do you? It takes you forever. But you know what God said? Not knowing what to think and believe leaves me without. 
Because before it would become an idea and I would start meditating on that and start doing something with it, it was out of my reach. I got news for you. If you told me 18-year-old Dusty when and I was like 33 when I got my, my master's degree from UAB, I would have told you that it was not only impossible, but that even if they gave me the degree, if UAB said, hey, just come up here, we're going to give you the degree, that I would have never been able to have done anything with it. That was where my mentality was when I was 18. But you know, little by little, God will start giving us enough for us to believe for. It took me 11 years to get there. It took me 20 years in Southern Company to go from just being a guy that pulled cable to doing cybersecurity and being over a whole department of people that, that do cybersecurity. Do you know that I couldn't read and write, and, or I could read, but I couldn't understand because I couldn't keep up with it? I couldn't, I couldn't, um, I didn't know the context. I couldn't um, comprehend the text back when I was in school. Do you know now I'm actually over governance for cybersecurity at Southern Company? I write documents. I read comprehensive documents that are thousands of pages. And when people come to me and go, what does that mean? <clears throat> See, y'all may not think that's a miracle, but that's a dang miracle. And I'm going to tell you what, God changed my mentality. He changed the way I saw things. He made it to where I now know something. See, the moment that this starts happening for you and you allow God to start slowly but surely changing the way you think, then the possibilities open up. It becomes grander and grander and grander. You know, one of the things that I, I wanted that I wanted to kind of point out to you guys here is just because you once thought a certain way doesn't mean that you had wasted all your time. You know, back when I was thinking one way, I had to think a different way. See, that wasn't 11 years wasted. That was 11 years gained. The 18 years before wasn't wasted time. Because I wouldn't have a great testimony to tell y'all. You know, if, if you were... 85 years old right now and the Lord told you to start going to college or start doing something or change one thing about what you're supposed to do and you say, well, I wasted the last 85 years of my life. You know what? No, you didn't. Because at the end of it, what God really has for you and what He's wanting you to do is so much greater. So much greater. You know, His redemption makes up the difference. So changing our thinking changes your beliefs. One of the things I've got up here is, you know, I've got Mr. Bean and, and of course I've got Lloyd here from Dumb and Dumber. But, you know, Mr. Bean is, are you thinking what I'm thinking? Mm -hmm. And then Lloyd is that, that's good thinking. You know, from both of these people's perspective, they never even had an actual original thought. If you ever watch Mr. Bean or you watch Dumb and Dumber. 
I mean, they literally did not get it in any way. And see, this is what I want people to understand is that when God put in like Proverbs 23, 7 through 9, where he says, for as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. This word heart is nefesh, which means your soul. It's your mind, your will, and your emotions. And it says, it says here, eat and drink, he says to you, but his heart, which is a different word. It's leba, and it means belief system. It's wisdom. It's the innermost part of who you are. It's your core beliefs. So it says, eat and drink, he says unto you, but his heart is not with you. The morsel you've eaten, you will vomit up and waste your pleasant words. Do not speak in the hearing of a fool, for he will despise the wisdom of words. I got news for you. This right here is the way that I think a lot of people think about things. Like if I came in and I started talking to you guys about the power of God and the goodness of God and the whatever, you know, there would be some people that would go, oh, I believe that. Oh, I believe that. And they would talk a good game. Oh, God told me this and God did this and God did that. And the thing is, is that really in the grand scheme of things, they're just wanting to fit in. They really don't have a good grasp on whatever it is. And because of that, it's not hurting me. Like if somebody came up and I said, man, you know, God's so good. Listen to what he did. Here's my testimony and all that. And then somebody turns around, well, God did this for me. And then you, you go through this whole process. At the end of the day, because they didn't really believe in their heart, nothing actually changed. They were just trying to fit in. They were trying to, to be hospitable, if you will. And because of that, they, whenever they said, oh, I believe this for myself, eventually it goes, no, that's not going to take. And it gets thrown up. I feel like I'm explaining this horribly. So let me, let me maybe change the, the tactic a little bit here. Essentially, if in our minds, how we think, the first thing that we think of, like when somebody says, Dusty, can you be healed? I, you know, the first thing that comes to my mind is 1 Peter 2.24. It's the first thing that comes to my mind. Well, I might go talk to somebody else and they go, well, maybe if God wants me to be healed. But yeah, I'm believing. Well, see, that really has not taken root. And so every time they go to put that in, it never takes root. And so what happens is it just falls off of them. Because it's not a core belief system. It's not something they truly, truly believed. And so it just gets vomited up off of them. So the way we think and we believe, you know, that whole fake it till you make it, don't do it. Fake it till you make it. I used to think that was a great thing. But if you don't truly believe that you're supposed to be doing something or if you don't truly believe something about God's word, don't fake like you believe it. That's not true faith. I've heard people say that. Just keep confessing till you believe it. Well, I will tell you this. If you say, I'm going to keep meditating on God's word until I believe it, then I'm going to go with that. 
But the whole thing is, is that if you just keep saying something and, and trying to do something, but you don't really truly believe it, then you're never going to allow it to take root. You have to believe it before it actually manifests in your body. It manifests in your life. It manifests in your soul. You know, no matter what word you say, if you don't believe it, it's just going to come right back. It's going to be thrown off of you. It's going to be vomited up. You know, pleasant words and hospitality doesn't mean that you believe. What you believe is a reaction of your thought. The first thought that happens when something comes down the pipe, when a circumstance has happened, the first thought is where your core belief system is. And you know what? You need to take note of that. You need to go, okay, i got to go find scripture on that, and I need to put that into my heart. I need to meditate on the things to change my belief system. Because if I don't, and I just go, oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, my first thought was, it's doom, despair, and agony on me. Deep, dark depression. What's the rest of it? I don't even remember. Something misery. Well, you know what? If that's your first thought, that's where you're at. That's your core belief system. But if the first thought is, is that, you know what? God's in control. God's got it. I know what I know that I can do all things through Christ Jesus that strengthens me. He supplies all of my needs according to his riches and glory. Oh, now I've got a belief system. I've got something to stand on. I can do this. I don't have to go backtrack and take the curio apart and have dad tell me, hold it up like this so I can jam the board in there. No, God goes, hey, you've got to take that thing apart and you've got to re-put it back together because you have a wrong way of seeing it. You've got to go back around and put it back together. You know, when you're faced with tough realities, what do you do? What do you think? Those are the things that are in your heart and you need to pull it out. I got news for you. When they came in and said, hey, you're going to go get an architect, you're going to go do this, and the guy, the guy goes, it'll cost you $40,000 before you even get started. The guy that owned the building, he was so mad because he just wanted to lease it to me and he didn't want have to put any money into it himself and all that. When he said that, you know what my mind went? It went, oh, $40,000. That's double what I actually have. I'm going to be honest with you. There was no faith standing there. I wasn't going, I'm a man of faith and I'm going to get this $40,000 if I have to. I was sitting there going, nope, this is dead. You know that God's trying to change my mentality to say, hey, now I need to go and find an architect and an engineer and all these other people and I need to talk to them and I need to understand what it takes in order to do these things so that I'm educated. So that my belief system goes, yeah, i got to go put on a retainer of $5,000 for an architect, but maybe I don't need an engineer. Maybe I don't need. But you know what? If I don't know, then I just go, well... That's not for us. Guess what? 20 years from now, we're all going to be in this house. How does that sound? Go big or go home. Well, right now we're at home, okay? In order to go big, it means I've got to change my thinking so that we can go and do things the right way 
So I can go get the architects and so I can go and make the changes to the things that I need to make. Because, by the way, you know people don't want to go to a crappy place. Do you know that if I just do it, you know, half butt, I probably could have used a different word there, but there's people who do that kind of stuff where they just do it halfway. You know, no one wants to go to those places. Think about somewhere where it actually might have good food or whatever, like a restaurant, and you go in there and you go, but the atmosphere. What was Uncle Mon's that was out there? Do you know that y'all talked about Uncle Mon's food really well, but we never went there. It was always to go if we got something. It was like, we ain't going in that place because it was a bus that was hanging over a ravine and it looked like somebody had like sprayed it down with rust. I mean, it was bad. But the food was good. You know, we used to go to Minor Cafe and get a hamburger. They'd make these huge hamburgers. The lady would smoke a cigarette and it would be out here and then have an ash as long as my finger. And she'd be over there, she'd take our money and all of a sudden she'd turn around and she'd grab a big thing and go, make patties, that cigarette. I'm like, the ash is gonna go in there. It's gonna go in there. It's gonna be in there. We're gonna be eating ash. Well, you know what? We ate it. <clears throat> you know how many times I went back to Minor Cafe? I don't think unless somebody was like, I really want to go to Minor Cafe, I'd be like, the hamburger was okay, but there was still a point I was going, you know what, I think I got some contact nicotine from the ashes that was inside my hamburger. Absolutely. Do you know that, that because of those kind of mentalities, we get thrown around? We never can make a decision. In fact, it even says this. And I love that I put a gif in here. All these people in a pool. Oh my gosh. Ah! Man, they just got wiped out. Look at that big wave that took them out. <coughs> you know, James 1, 5 and 6 says, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives liberally and without reproach, and it will be given unto him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea being driven and tossed by the winds. I got news for you. There's, there's very few people. When the wave came, it's got to be China. It probably is. <laughs> Half those people are dead, and they didn't even care. Okay, I mean that's how that's how bad that wave was that just took out all these people in this gift. But you know, the thing that, that the Lord keeps putting in my heart is that in order for us to change our thinking, we still have to ask in faith. We can't doubt. Well, how do we do that? I think there's a process to this. I think there's not just asking, but I think that we have to go through what, what Jesus said in Matthew 7, 7 through 8 was, ask and it will be given unto you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. Well, I think we have to ask, we have to seek, we have to, to knock. Well, asking is, hey, Dad, hey, you know, I'm hungry. Um, can I go over to your house and get something to eat? Sure. Okay, he says, sure. He said, okay, so, so it, he, gave me the, he gave me the response that I needed. <clears throat> All right, Dad, where's it at? And you go, I don't know. It's in the freezer. Well, he's got five of them. Okay, so <clears throat> I gotta go seek. I gotta go open every one of the freezers. Where's that pack of hot dogs at? And I go through there. I'm gonna eat a whole pack of hot dogs. 
Well, you know what? Until I actually go over there and knock on every one of those doors, open them up. See, the problem is, is most of the time we ask and go, God, I really need, 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 God, it would be nice. Well, God, if it would be your will. A lot of times we go from praying about some situation with, God, I, I need this, to, well, God, if it be your will. Because we start now getting into the, well, it hadn't happened. I just don't know. Well, see, asking is great. But when I get the, okay, go ahead. Now I got to seek. Sometimes I don't know everything. I would have told you when I was 18 years old if I could just be a, if I could just be, a, just work on desktop computers, then I could do that the rest of my life. I remember I got hired on a Southern company. I go into my job. I'm pulling cable. These people are working on desktop computers inside of our client services organization. And I thought, these guys are the greatest. They're the most awesome. They're the, no, they were the lowest of the low. I mean, they were just one half step ahead of me. And they were being told what to do. And then I found out a couple of years later, oh, well, the guys that are up here that are doing servers, that's where it's at. That's what I need to be doing. I'm going to go and do that. Well, then I went and started trying to seek after that. And I started going, well, no, those guys are the same as the guys that was doing the other things over here. Then you had the engineers. Oh, these guys went and told everybody what to do, and you shut up and do it. Now that's the guy I want to be. I wanted to be the guy that said, Woo, you do what I tell you to do. Not, give me a ticket, sir, and I'm going to go off and I'm going to work on your PC. Because my mentality, I didn't know. I didn't know that just working on a PC getting a ticket, well, it looked really good when I was pulling cable and I was standing on an eight-foot ladder on the very top. Working on a PC seemed like it was the most greatest opportunity ever. But as time went on, I started going, man, I want to be that guy. See, ask, seeking, and knocking, it doesn't ever stop. Because after I've already obtained the thing that I saw, I go, well, hey, this still ain't it. God keeps going, hey, but you couldn't have believed for that engineering slot if I'd given it to you. You'd have failed. Day one, if I put you in an engineering slot, you didn't know enough about a PC to be able to actually tell what to do. You know, when I started, when I started uh, having people work for me, one of the problems that I had with people working for me was that I started doing their job too. Because that was just the way that, I mean, I, I'd always done technical work. I'd always done, well, then somebody would go, I got a problem. I'd go, well, get me in there. I'm going to go fix it. And I thought being the supervisor manager over people was, I just had to be the super engineer. Oh, I'm the guy that's supposed to know everything. And I go in there and I fix it. And everybody just goes, look at me. No. I had to be okay with going, I don't know, but let's go find the people who do. You know, over the last five or six years, that's what I've become, is I've become more of the guy that says, I'm going to go and help you to find the right people to help us. 
Well, I was getting bad reviews when I would just go fix it. And I'd be like, but but I should be getting I should be getting accolades because I'm fixing all this stuff and I'm working 16 hours a day. Why don't you see how awesome I am? Why why don't you give me my accolades? And they go, because that's not your job. You know that my wrong thinking was actually hurting other people. It was actually keeping them from becoming a better engineer, a better technician, a better person. See, our wrong thinking can sometimes hold other people back. It can hold us back. See, if we ask, we receive. If we seek, we find. If we knock, the door will be open. You know, some people make mistakes and then go, go big all in the same lifetime. You know, I look at Abraham and I start looking at some of these things and I think, you know, Father Abraham, man, he's, he's really, he, he was really a man of faith. And it says in Galatians 3, 5 through 7, it says, Therefore, he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness, therefore know that only those who are of faith are the sons of Abraham. Man, Abraham's an awesome guy. He never made a mistake in his whole daggone life. Abraham's great. He should be, we should do everything like Abraham. Well, it says in Genesis 17, 17 through 19, it says, then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said in his heart, Shall a child be born to a man who's 100 years old? And shall Sarah, who's 90 years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. And then God said, No. You know, the, the, the miracle here was that God had already, God had already told Abraham this is going to happen through Sarah. See, Sarah was the, was the linchpin problem. She was barren. Like, it didn't matter if he had seed to give. She was not fertile ground. She was not going to bear a child. And God was saying, look, I want her to bear the child. Do you know this was more about Sarah than it was about Abraham? Because Abraham had other kids by other people. In fact, after Isaac... And after Sarah and him split up, he had four other kids that we can find in the Bible. The man was 120 years old. That's a miracle. I mean, let's just, let's just be honest about, about what the miracle was. It wasn't that he was 100 years old and that she was 90. It was, no, God was saying, hey, I'm going to make her fertile because I believe in her. Because it had nothing to do with Abraham. In fact, the covenant has very little to do with Abraham. Let, let's find out about this. So God said, No, Sarah your wife shall bear your son, and you shall be called, you shall call his name Isaac, and I will establish my covenant with him for everlasting covenant and with his descendants after him. So I want you to understand. Abraham wasn't even the, Abraham was just the guy that was going to give the seed. 
That was it. The covenant is with Isaac. Now, Israel loves to go Father Abraham. Father Abraham. Well, you know what? This is a covenant that's for all of us. But it actually came through Isaac. It was not going to go through Ishmael. It was not going to go through any of these other people. And see, when we don't understand the plan, usually an Ishmael happens. And you know, when we have an Ishmael that happens where I tried it on my own and I ended up having the wrong kid, the wrong seed, do you know, God doesn't seem to care. You know, you think, well, God would be really upset. Man, you, you didn't believe. No, he just turned around and said, no, Ishmael's not going to be it. You're still going to have to believe what I told you and what I told Sarah. You're still going to have to believe it and you're still going to have to work it. And see, this is what God is trying to say. I don't really care if you have an Ishmael. I'm God. I, this is your problem. <laughs> I mean, I'm going to be honest with you. God's sitting there going, if you have an Ishmael, he goes, well, you're going to still have to deal with it. But in order to do what I told you to do, we're going to have to have a plan. And we're going to have to follow that plan. You know, God always regroups and he re-explains and re-explains the plan again and again and again and again. You know, Isaac's happen when we follow his plan. And then it's the right thing. And see, what we have to understand is that our Ishmael's become problems for us. But God still says, well, hey, even if you created a problem, I can still get you back on the track to do the plan. You know, I've created lots of Ishmael's in my life, and God has always helped me to figure out how to get back to those areas. You know, I could have went not knowing anything, at least thank God I didn't go and sign a bunch of lease agreements and stuff with people without going to the city and without going and talking to people. Thank God. Because I've talked to people that said, yeah, I screwed up real big. I, I signed lease agreements, didn't know what I got into, and then I had to just nullify my business. Well, heck, we just had Identity Church that was made a corporation and 501c3 came in and all this kind of stuff. If I had signed the whole church away and still couldn't even have a church service in a building, man, that Ishmael would hurt. And God's saying, you got to change your thinking. You got to go big. If it says you got to go have an architect and an engineer and you got to go and redo some things and, and it's going to cost a lot of money, well, then now we know what to believe for. We know what to believe for. But if not, then we could get ourselves in the middle of a mess. So God says, don't hide from the problem. Don't change, don't, don't put your head in the sand, just think differently. Because once we do that, then God will supply our need. God will bring about the things that we need him to do. And you know what? You can apply this to every area, not just identity church, not just education. You can apply it to the love that you have for your family. You can apply the love that you have for people that you work with. You can apply all of this the same exact way that God wants you to think bigger. He wants you to create in your mind the ability when you say, that's not going to work. He wants you to go, 
wait a minute, am I needing to think bigger? Am I needing to change the way that I think? Amen. Did y'all learn something today? Amen.